welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is number 148, episode 148. Um, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, first one, uh, I, I'll hit these in no particular order, but the first one is Finland and Sweden are basically now in NATO. You know, the Senate, uh, I think it was 95 to 1, voted to admit them into NATO. And I have a unique perspective on that as I served with Swedes and Finns in Bosnia. And the one thing that they were extremely proud of was that they were a non-aligned, neutral countries, that they were in between, you know, what was then, you know, post-Soviet Russia and, you know, NATO. They they liked that, that uh, uh, position that, well, we can be nice to both, you know, we can cooperate with both. Um, they did not, um, I, I would say probably maybe 30% of the people I talked to just anecdotally thought that, you know, Finland and Sweden should be in NATO. And at that time, uh, the rest thought that they should maintain their independence from any kind of military alliance and their non-aligned status. So for them to actually join NATO is huge. It is a big thing. And I would uh, not underestimate that. I mean, they're good countries to have in. You know, I wish we could kick Turkey out, but oh well. Um, you know, those two countries in NATO are a big deal. Their strategic position, um, the quality of their armed forces, all these kind of things. They, The war in Ukraine, from at least that perspective, has achieved exactly the opposite of what Putin would have wanted, and that is he wanted to chase to dissuade people from wanting to join NATO and now he's actually he has enlarged NATO uh, more than anyone in the last 25 years so there you go uh, let's see have you seen the the war reporting from Ukraine I mean it is awful it has got to be the worst war reporting I've ever seen first of all there's very little of it there's very few journalists are actually going there and doing any kind of reporting and the reporting you're getting the stories that are out there that you know they're flashing all over the internet and everything um, are, are a lot of propaganda and that they're just not realistic and you know you see these I call them clickbait stories but it's like you know Ukrainians blow up Russian ammo truck you know with a missile well you know we're talking about something that's much much larger than that and you know, of course, there's going to be trucks blown up here and there and everywhere. The the actual things that we want to know is who's actually gaining ground, who's actually got the initiative, who's on the offensive, who's on the defensive, who's holding the key and decisive terrain, uh, what do the objectives for each side look like, and you're not seeing any kind of quality reporting like that. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see. As near as I can tell, it is a very slow and methodical ground campaign um, based behind firepower. And so they're massing artillery and all these other things, and they're just moving moving in behind it as they can. And so it is probably a very, very 
ugly, depressing, destructive uh, type of type of frontline warfare or something. You know, I don't want to say World War One, but it's probably what it's going to remind most people of. It is a, not a dynamic war of maneuver, that's for sure. But the reporting is awful. It's actually disgracefully awful. And, uh, you know, it's not telling anybody. I mean, we know there's a war there, but we really don't know much else beyond that if you all you rely on is the reporting. So we have Russia, and Russia is, you know, they're pummeling Ukraine, and they are they are going to get... It seems like they're going to get what they want. I mean, it, you can hear about counteroffensives all the time, but, you know, I don't think the Ukrainians have combat power to do a, a counteroffensive. And, and if they tried, I think they would run into the problems of the, the Russians have a lot of fire support and they have a much more active air force. So I think you would see it would be very difficult for them to mount a counteroffensive that could uh, dislodge the Russians from any large portion of the territory they already occupy. And of course we have China, China who threatened to shoot down Pelosi's plane and they're all mad because we're Taiwan. And of course our government gives the same milk toast, weak response. They should have said no, shooting down Pelosi's plane is an act of war and we, we take it as such. We certainly wouldn't shoot down your plane um, that, you're, that, was, that was carrying your um, party chairman or, or whatever the, the hierarchy is, president of the People's Republic of China. The most disturbing thing they said was, well, we don't support Taiwan independence. Well, I got news. Since 1949, Taiwan has been independent of the mainland. And for a long time, 22, 23 years, we recognized the Taiwan government as the legitimate government of China. Now, that was a fiction because obviously they weren't in control of the mainland. But, you know, diplomatically, that's what we did. Then the Nixon visit to communist China started to normalize relations. We had a two-China policy for a while. Now we have a one-China policy, which is stupid. It's it's crafted by morons and the stupid part of this is no sorry taiwan has been an independent country since 1949 which is 73 years so to pretend that it's something else is just fooling ourselves and deluding ourselves and again manipulating language to mean something other than what it means and we need to face the reality we need to tell the chinese to face the reality Sorry, Taiwan is independent. Like it or lump it, it's, that's the way it is. And we should have an ambassador there. They should have an ambassador here. We should recognize them as the, you know, the Taiwan Republic of China. And that should be it. I, I don't know why our foreign policy is so muddled. And it's been that way for a while. But unless we get foreign, unless we get clarity in foreign policy, uh, our problems are going to continue. Same thing with Afghanistan. Yeah, we just wiped out Zahoriri. <laughs> what a, yeah. I mean, he was a scumbag and he deserved what he got. But, um, you know, the reporter that asked that idiot admiral, um, well, what did we expect when we turned the country over to terrorists? You know, of course it's a terrorist 
haven now and and it's it's terrorist disneyland is what it is and uh he said well i'm sorry you know we didn't own it it wasn't our country so you know blah 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 well yeah blah 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 we we were there we occupied it the the afghan government was actually holding the area around kabul and we pulled out and handed it we gave it to the taliban we gave it to them so now it's a terrorist stronghold and if we think it's great just because we wiped out one guy well guess what for that one guy there there's thousands more and god only knows what they're planning i mean it's just going to be terrible uh that is a that is a disaster and no one's been held accountable for that not a single general any one of these you know if i were in charge every general who was in command in afghanistan would have to go up before a special tribunal and the question i would ask them is what did you do to secure victory in afghanistan and none of them could answer it they would say well we, we were doing this but they didn't do anything they just kind of occupied the country as as part of the head of this you know fake coalition we had in there um and that didn't do anything didn't take the initiative didn't go after them didn't do anything um and and we just tried to outlast the taliban and it didn't work every one of those generals who can't give a good answer should basically have their pension taken away they can keep their dumb medals but they need to have their pension taken away their pension you know their commissary privileges their tricare for life needs to be taken away i'm sorry you're a disgrace you lost you you are no longer an associated with the u.s government goodbye that's what we should do these people do not deserve our trust they let us down what do you think Patton, macarthur omar bradley um and and you the list goes on and on what do you think those guys would have done if they were told you're the commander in afghanistan we got these taliban guys they're like these 12th century rejects who are living in caves and and running all around the country doing terrorist stuff what do you need to defeat these guys number one they would have told us and number two when we gave it to them they would have done it i mean we're talking about the army that that basically you know crushed the wehrmacht in western europe and defeated the japanese in three and a half years so if we can do that if we could run if we can run them out of north africa combat them and push them up the uh, italian peninsula invade the the continent via france and go into germany and basically crush all their combat power if we could do that i think we could handle the taliban and um you know certainly in 20 years that should have happened all those generals are guilty they are all guilty of military malpractice and they should be held accountable for it i mean they should have been held accountable they were the ones who were charged with winning you can't count on diplomats uh, wars too important to leave to the politicians um sometimes the generals have to get in there and actually win and not just act like another corporate functionary you know some of those guys you know they would have been happier planning you know garbage truck routes 
for your you know local waste management company that that's the kind of functional bureaucrats that they are now they got big egos and they want to pimp around with all the stuff and everything else look how many of them had illicit girlfriends i mean we really have to take a look at what's going on really have to look at what's going on afghanistan should have been bigger than the pullout of vietnam but instead it, nobody even talks about it now. Everybody just kind of says, yeah, well, kind of left. No pride, no anything. It's, it's disgrace. Absolute disgrace. Uh, yeah, a couple things. ARs in the news to transition to some more gun stuff. You know, I noticed that, you know, especially on the, the internet news feeds and all that, there are all these little stories now trauma surgeon explains why the ar-15 is so is so lethal well the ar-15 itself is not lethal the cartridges it shoots are lethal and they're also chambered in other firearms as well so there's nothing unique about the ar-15 that makes them more lethal um certainly a 556 round coming from any other kind of 556 rifle is going to have lethality so that's all bogus but it gives him a chance to show pictures of an ar-15 another one is um you know people are you know according to this survey people are reevaluating um their their views on guns okay well i don't know where they took this sample you know could be downtown san francisco could be portland uh could be somewhere else but it's probably not middle america probably not any place that has anything close to a normal distribution of population but it gives them a chance to show a couple of ar you know they always have the ars in the background like you know we're not talking when we talk about guns except ars they only want to recognize the ar that's when when the word gun comes to people's mind they are attempting to plant the image of the ar which is the scary black rifle so it's we're being propagandized and they're trying to get the drumbeat going to see if they can uh you know get it going they already got they already got one little sellout bill past congress maybe they can get more um i don't know it's uh journalistic malpractice we have military malpractice now we have journalistic malpractice um that's just what it is with ars in the news and the other part the other related thing to this is you know over the last few months and and even going back farther heroes with guns don't seem to get much coverage uh you know the the guy who stopped the mall shooter by (laughs) and this is this is pretty epic uh feat of marksmanship when at 40 yards you you basically hit a guy in the head i mean that's either incredible luck or it's some some real skill that maybe this guy has and apparently he was neither law enforcement nor military so he does not have any of that kind of training he may have gotten other training or he may be a person who's been hunting his whole life and understands how his gun works and how ballistics work and how to make a hit at longer distance um and and all you could hear was the you know the liberals criticizing going well that was dangerous you know could have hit somebody else yeah he could have hit somebody else but he didn't 
And even if he had, um, sometimes you have to make a trade-off to stop 30 people from being killed, maybe somebody else getting hurt, one other person, and the shooter going down and being killed is a worthwhile trade. But there are other heroes in the news, too. You know, we had a couple of years ago, the church in, uh, I think it was in Arizona, the guy came in, wanted to start, I think he actually shot one or two people in the church, armed church security, just one of the parishioners, really, um, shot him and put him down. Uh, we have we've had several there was the uh, and this didn't get any coverage because it was predominantly in a black area and it involved black people but uh, there was the graduation party where the guy pulls out the AR-15 he's gonna actually start hurting people and the the black lady with the uh, uh, CCW pistol pulled out her pistol shot him and killed him all these things have been happening. You know, how many times it, when you see something, you go, God, if there'd just been an armed citizen there. Well, now with the shall issue laws, it appears that in some of these things, the armed citizens are there and they're making a huge difference. Armed citizens make a positive difference. And that needs to be something that we drum into the liberal mindset. That's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, that's we just have to defend ourselves with that. We have to. Uh, oh, yeah, one thing that's really funny, I was reading a, you know, there's some military interest articles that pop up. And one of them was, oh, what a great rifle the M1 Garand is. And, you know, I, I'll read those. I, I They don't contain much useful or new information for me, but they can be entertaining to read. So I was reading one. And it said, you know, the only deficiency was that horrible ping which would alert the enemy that you were reloading and had an empty rifle. Uh, and, of course, it's complete hogwash. And I actually wrote a comment on the article. Please stop spreading this false information. This has been debunked many times. The battlefield is a noisy place. And M1 rifle pings you just don't hear. And, and in fact, even in a competition line where you have a firing line of M1 rifles... Uh, you might hear a few, and this is, again, a competition, very much quieter environment. You might hear a few, but then you might not. There are people who, you know, two or three um, firing points away, you won't hear the ping. So um, you have to be right on top of it to hear it, even in um, a kind of a, a quiet shooting environment. But the confusion and... and uh, mass noise of a battlefield you'll never hear the ping and so I always challenge them when I when I see that uh, then now we get to the fun thing um, I don't know if you've seen the videos but you know the the in-range TV did this what would the, the genesis of the in-range TV what would stoner do rifle was the fact that you know, there's a lot, there's very few things that are, very few ideas anyway, that are that are genuinely new. Um, one of them went to a gun shop and and fondled and I guess eventually purchased a Colt SP-1 and said, wow, compared to the ARs today, this is light, simple, easy to use. Wow, what a, what a, what a great rifle. And then they thought, they put their heads together and go, well, if Stoner were still alive, or what would you, how would you build 
the same kind of light, clean, easy to use rifle today out of modern components, making it as lightweight as possible. So they did that and they wound up using a, what they call a monolithic polymer frame or re lower receiver, I guess, which is nothing more than it's, it's a plastic receiver, lower receiver that's got the um, pistol grip and the buttstock molded onto it. So it's strong and because there have been other plastic lower receivers that aren't so strong they usually wind up breaking but this is reinforced and it's strong and they went ahead and selected a whole bunch of lightweight components and and all the rest of it to make it as light as possible and they patted themselves on the back and they said we're geniuses that was in 2017 they redid it in i think 2020 or 2021 to because there are some even newer things on the market that are lightweight so they did that and one of the things they did was they the source of the monolithic lower receiver had long gone out of business so uh, they started manufacturing them with it at another company and of course the three people behind it the in-range tv guys and their their pal from KE Arms, the guys who, who make them now. And apparently these three are being sued by the former company that made these. Um, you know, G-Wax or whatever it's called. And according to the What Would Stoner Do guys, the... Um, you know, this is kind of an anti-gun thing funded by an anti-gun millionaire who has no real interest in reproducing these things again, but he's trying to sue them because he believes they have stolen intellectual property and, and other things uh, because they are now making these. And apparently the one, not the in-range guys, but the other guy, uh, Fagan, I think his name is, evidently worked for them as a consultant, whether he had an NDA or a non um, compete clause that he signed. I don't. I don't know. But there seems to be some some element of that in there. Plus, they've claimed apparently have, have claimed proprietary uh, um, rights over things like the the uh, trapdoor in the butt for the cleaning kit and you know a few other things. So they they've been fighting all that. All I can say is it, it's a fool's errand project anyway. And they've actually gotten Brownells in it, in mixed into it, um, but it's a fool's errand project. I mean, the what would Stoner do rifle is, you know, kind of a foolish thing. Why why do you need a lightweight version of a lightweight rifle? I, I don't know. And if you wanted that, actually, if they had reached back into history a little farther, they could have grabbed the Colt SP1 carbine, sometimes called the Car 15. And it was a Colt SP-1 with a 16-inch barrel, the short carbine handguards like we're used to on the M4s, and a two-position stock that looks like an M4 buttstock. Um, they, that is an extremely light rifle. That will do what the what would Stoner do rifles do. They all have pencil barrels. I realize that you know they're not free-floated on the older models, but I don't think that really matters. There's a question about that later anyway. Um, so these guys are being sued over a rifle that really doesn't offer anything that nobody really wants 
I don't think anybody's been buying these things. And uh, it, it's, it's a mess. And it happens when amateurs get involved into a business that they think they know, but they don't know. Um, I think they should have gotten some <laughs> they, legal, they should have gotten some legal advice ahead of time and made whatever kind of declarations or made whatever kind of accommodation with the former company that they needed to and probably could have avoided all this but instead they just go headlong into it and uh, you know they're they're kind of idiots and the idiots are getting you know they're getting a lesson and it's probably going to be a very expensive lesson uh, Again, what would Stoner do? Who who really wants a what would Stoner do rifle? And the answer is really no one. I mean, I can only think that a gamer might need this. Some somebody there's some obtuse game where it's it's an optimal rifle, and maybe it's something in the two gun matches they do or something. But for for most of the rest of us. I think that um, the standard AR is just fine. I mean, who needs it lighter weight? I'm not that weak. <laughs> I don't need it lighter weight. Um, the other thing which they even admitted was the recoil is no more noticeable in the what would Stoner do rifle than in regular ARs because of its lightweight and the lightweight components they've used. And you know, I don't. I just don't need that. I. I just. I just don't think that's ridiculous. Not because the recoil is recoil and it hurts but because it 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 upsets your sight um, so consequently you have to bring it back it's gonna be a little harder to bring back on target yeah I just don't see where the juice is worth the squeeze on that why would anybody really want one and now they've they've screwed it all up so um, it'll probably be a collector's item probably you know what in a few years, it'll be on Forgotten Weapons, <laughs> the What Would Stoner Do rifle. And uh, they can explain it all again, I guess. Okay, that's enough for uh, world news and whatever gun news is hanging out out there. Let's go into uh, some questions and answers. And eh, some, of these are, some of these are new. We'll see. Um, what is your opinion of the Ruger Mini-14? Well, my opinion of it is actually quite good. Um, I do have to say I prefer an AR, a retro AR, to a Ruger Mini-14. But the Ruger Mini-14 has a really nice niche because... And, and the, the, the audience for this is dwindling, but people who really like Garand-style weapons like the Ruger Mini-14. And in the early 80s, that was a lot of people because you still had people who were pretty active who had gone through basic training or been issued M1 rifles or M14 rifles or even M1 carbines. You know, you had guys who, hey, 30 years before, they were, they were on the 38th parallel with a carbine or with a Garand. Or 20 years before, they were in Berlin with an M14 or Southeast Asia a little later with an M14. So you had people who were used to that and liked that system. And they liked the uh, uh, rotating bolt. They liked the gas system. They, they liked all of it. 
and that gun appeals to them. There are a lot fewer of those guys around today, but the the gun still is is around and, and useful and it is priced with some of the mid-range AAR or AARs ARs with the ARs. So it's still around, but they don't sell the ton of them. There's no other manufacturers lining up to say, man, this, this thing's so hot, the patents have expired, I'm going to go ahead and make it. No, no one's doing that. But Ruger sells them, and they sell them in 762 by 39 but the vast majority they sell are in 5.56. And I don't know if they had a 300 blackout. They may have. They may have had a 300 blackout. Um, the only the only negative thing I've ever heard about them beyond people saying, well, they're not accurate. Well, they are for what they are. Um, is that the 7.62 by 39 uh, version was not reliable with the uh, military surplus 762 by 39 that came in. I don't know if that's still the case. I haven't heard that in a while, so I'm assuming that the uh, imported steel case 762 by 39 that's new manufacture probably works just fine in a Mini 14. So, um, yeah, there you go. Nice gun. I like it a lot better than the SKS. Um, for historical reasons, the SKS is very cool, but I really like um, a 762 by 39 um, Mini 14 or a 300 Blackout Mini 14. It'd be a very, it's a very cool gun, and the 556 is very cool also. So I like it, but it's never going to make a market move again. And I don't know that there'll be a wave of nostalgia for it like there was for the retro ARs. I don't, I don't really see any signs of that. Uh, so it's kind of it's it's always just going to kind of be there. Um, this is about pencil barrel ARs, and I didn't write this down very well. So, um, <clears throat> what do you think of pencil barrel ARs? Are they are they as good or nearly as good as the thicker barrel ARs? Um, I, I can tell you, you probably. All right. You will probably see an accuracy increase with the thicker barrel guns. Like the A2 will usually give you really good accuracy. But that's really maximized with the heavier bullet ammunition. With the 193 ammunition, I don't think there's really any any noticeable difference. Um, now, if you shoot it a lot and get it really hot, I'm sure you'll see it. And I'm talking standard ARs, not not these special ones that have the free float tubes and all that. Uh, I think that you, you know, you could see some benefit to having the free float tube. But I think for the kind of shooting you're going to do, unless you're doing a lot of target shooting or long range precision shooting, um, I don't see that you gain much with a thicker barrel other than um, just the ability to dissipate heat. So I'll say I'll say that. Now I know they're saying the Faxon barrels are better than the Colt barrels. I'd have to see that to believe it. But um, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. And here's the related question. Um, is there a difference in accuracy practically between the 16 inch and 20 inch AR barrels? 
and again, I think that goes back to whatever specific use you have. Um, an A2 with a good optic. Um, yeah, is going to be and, and the right ammunition. And we also have to talk about there's twist rate differences and all the rest. But um, I think you will see a range. You will see a range, a longer range benefit to the 20 inch barrel. You will probably see an accuracy benefit, but it probably doesn't matter for the type of shooting most people do. If you're shooting at steel plates out to even, I'll even say 350 yards, I don't think you're going to see a difference. Just don't. Um, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, now group size, you, you will, will see a difference. I, I have an A2. Um, I shoot the 77 grain bullets in it. I have an ACOG on it, and it shoots very tight, nice groups. It's really a nice gun to use. Um, would a 16-inch barrel, just standard M4 style AR, even with the same scope on it, do as well? Uh, probably not. Probably not. But if I'm just shooting steel plates, I probably won't notice a difference. Have you seen the movies The Old Man and the Terminal List, which use weapons and hmm i didn't write that down well either and what do you think that use uh, modern weapons and what do you think of it um I, I think they're a great entertainment uh, certainly i would never bank my life on the kind of uh field craft and trade craft i've seen in them um you know it's kind of like would you stake your life on a J on a gadget from a james bond movie and, and the answer is no um but they were actually pretty good i think i watched the old man i think the first couple episodes were really excellent. It was almost, it was almost Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock style, really interesting. But the, um, you know, the last episode kind of, kind of drug on, and and it really, you know, it was at the end you kind of say, hey, so what? Uh, the terminal list was, you know, that that it's a good thing that was Arnold's son-in-law because Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger would have made that movie, would have made that series, you know, he's the, you know, it was Commando uh, with a little bit of uh, um, a change of plot, but it was the same character from Commando, you know, the the super special operations guy who knows all the, not only all the field craft and all that stuff from, from the military, but seems to have somehow acquired all the spy trade craft from like the CIA and, and super things and all that. Um, you know, so um, it's it's entertainment. That's all I can say for it. There's very little that you see on television which replicates any kind of reality. And the thing that they never replicate, well, I won't say they never do. Sometimes they do as a, as a plot a plot device but you know when you're watching the terminal list he can slip into no matter how heavily guarded a place is he can slip into it he can he never seems to get seen he never he can slip in anywhere it never takes into account the random things like maybe the guard is amped up on maybe most of the time he's asleep but at that particular moment he's amped up on caffeine so he sees them or maybe they actually have thermal imaging stuff so you're not going to sneak and creep up there like it's you know like an infiltrate like you think you will uh, maybe they have dogs maybe they have other things maybe there's some other random um 
piece of equipment or random situation that kind of blows the whole thing. And those that can happen. And they, they never showed that in the, the terminal list. Everything kind of went, you know, it was almost kind of superhero kind of stuff. So um, you never really saw that. So they were both good entertainment, but, you know, don't think that they have any value as training, especially with the teamwork. They, they never show the kind of teamwork stuff that you really you really need whether it's the good guys or the bad guys they, they never really show that they never show the importance of camo too you know the one of the most important things is camo the ability to communicate you know your intent your ideas what's going on and uh they they always seem to underplay that which which is completely understandable because they're not making it to be a, an absolute replication of reality they've they've got to have entertainment value so there you go Okay, next question, and this is very interesting. Is now a good time to stock up on ammo? Um, and I'm assuming that that's just inferring price and probably availability. I, I'm going to say now is a good time. Number one, because you don't know what the future is going to bring. And with the inflation that we're experiencing, and let me tell you about the, I drink Diet Coke. I love Diet Coke. I always have. A uh, year and a half ago, year ago, I could buy a 24-pack for literally under six bucks, or right around six bucks. Today I bought one, and it cost 11.40. Okay, so I'm going to be drinking something else now, or half as many, or something. Um, you know, inflation is really going up, so now is a good time before inflation really kicks in to to get some ammo, and. Um, the, here's the technique I use because I am not made of money. I am not made of, of uh, mass quantities of money. When I see reasonably priced ammunition, um, I buy a couple boxes. And what I mean by reasonably priced is some stuff like 556 that's you know 11.99 or you know that's that's a lot compared to what we paid for it in the past. But right now it's actually pretty good. Um, if I'm flush with money, I'll, I'll buy a case. Just buy it. Um, you, you can get it. That's what I would do. But if you if you're on a if if you don't have a lot of extra money, you buy that eleven dollar box every two weeks. At the end of four months, you've got a nice little basic load. Um, depending on how much you're expending, if you're acquiring more than you're expending you're gonna have you're gonna have some so um, that's what you have to think about that's that's how you have to think how much do I have on hand how much can I add to it without breaking the bank so that's really pretty good and it's probably because primers are still hard to get and they're frighteningly expensive when you do um, I would say I think I'm gonna go out on a limb because I hadn't thought about this but buy a thousand rounds if you're gonna pay 125 bucks for a thousand small rifle primers you're probably saving money by spending 300 bucks for 500 or a thousand rounds of 556 whatever the whatever the case price is I think I saw the case price is under four hundred dollars now for 556 depending on different brands there's still some tall ammo around don't expect that to be around too much longer but 
Um, and if some of these companies that said they were going to, you know, crank up and produce steel cased 556, if they kind of, you know, come to the party um, and that stuff gets to be around 300 a case, then it's actually going to be more economical to buy the loaded rounds than it is to buy the primers, the powders, the bullets. Go scrounge up your empty cases, process your empty cases. And it's probably going to be just a lot more um, cost effective and time saving just to buy the case of, of ammo because they're not paying that 125 bucks for a thousand primers. They're paying a lot less. So there you go. Um, now, if primers come down, even if they, even if they're cut in half, and let's just say, let's just say in the dream world, that you can get a thousand primers for forty or forty-five bucks, and then you're back in the game where it might pay to, um, to handload, you know, some of the some of that high volume ammunition. But as long as they're really high, I don't, I don't see that happening. And um, primers are selling out fast, boy. They as soon as they hit Cabela's, they're they're usually gone within a day. So I would say that now is a good time to stock up on ammo and uh, stock up on the stuff. Here's my strategy. I, st I will stock up a bit on the stuff that I, I'm using, that I use a lot. That's just 9mm and 5.56 because I'm always going to have a use for that always going to have it. The stuff I'm loading for is the stuff I'm having a hard time finding components for, which is, you know, try to find 30-30 brass. Hey, you can't find it. Try to find 45-70 brass. Well, hey, I found some like two months ago, and I bought two bags of it. Um, and I can cast bullets for those, and I can um, load them. Um, I had some Takarev, I ordered some 9mm Largo brass and wound up with Takarev brass, 762 Takarev. So what I do is I just, I cast and then powder coat bullets and use that in my broom handle Mauser, okay? So because dimensionally the cases are the same. So I'm loading the stuff that I can't buy and I'm buying the stuff as I see it available. And that's how just how I'm doing it. So now is a good time to stock up. What is going to happen in the country? I do not know. And this is a uh, this is not really a question, but this is kind of a commentary. Uh, people are going, as we used to say, ape shit over the Roe v. Wade decision. I mean, there's some there's some serious anger out there. Um, there doesn't need to be because there's always going to be states where people can do that. But um, there's serious anger about that. And there could be other court cases, other situations uh, where things are bad. We still got a third of the summer left. And we're going to have the fall. Usually things quiet down in the winter because it's cold and Antifa doesn't like the cold. So, But it's, it's good to store up on, you know, store up ammo. Store it up. Because you don't know what's going to happen, we could be. We could, we hit the perfect storm last time, the evil perfect storm, where production was essentially turned off, and then demand skyrocketed because of the riots. That was 2020. Um, same thing could happen again. I think you you would still see production, but it wouldn't take much 
to empty out the ammo stocks that are on on store shelves and uh, you know riots breaking out across the country would would certainly do that so I would say stock up now and be ready and you know and in practicality how much should you stock up uh, here's my deal and and you know stocking up on ammo is only as good as stocking up on magazines so if you have a nine millimeter pistol let's say you have a Beretta and you have 15 shot magazine um, you need to keep three magazines loaded in my opinion keep three magazines loaded one in the pistol and two other very quickly accessible and if you have a 5.56 let's just say you have a basic AR rifle that you took my past advice you went out and bought the uh, the Anderson or, or uh, uh, one of the other you know uh, ARs that's economically priced I would say you should have at least six magazines probably seven you know the old military basic load of seven magazines one in the one in the rifle and six more in pouches where you can get at them and they need to be loaded and that will give you 210 rounds which is a very good if you have a problem 210 rounds should be more than enough same thing with your pistol 45 rounds should be more than enough and you can carry more if you want when I was in Iraq I carried a lot of pistol ammo in uh, um, in magazines because a it's not that heavy and B it's not that bulky so yeah you can you can toss one at the bottom of each cargo pocket you won't even notice it's there it will just kind of bang around in there and uh, you know you have the uh, the other ones uh, on your kit and there you are you know you can you can carry extra ammo. a lot of the tactical pants you know has that single magazine uh, a lot of people put knives in it but it's got the single magazine pocket you know and there's a lot of places where you can put an extra mag that you know could be helpful could very well be helpful so that will that will mean that you don't need to buy a huge amount if you have 300 rounds or 500 rounds of rifle ammo and you have 210 rounds loaded up well now you got some practice ammo or you've got some reserve ammo and if you have say three boxes of nine mil um, you can you can have a box and a half loaded up or just over that loaded up and then you've got a little bit of practice or reserve ammo left over so you know it's not that the cost is even at even at the prices of today the cost is not that overwhelming not that overwhelming and hey if you're like me like hey I've got an old eight millimeter LaBelle Berthier rifle well, you know what? I'm just going to have to wait to shoot that until PPU cranks out a few rounds for that. You know, um, that's just the way that's going to have to work out. Um, for my Winchester 32 Special, that's good lever gun. Hey, I can cast and load for that and uh, be pretty successful at it. So that's what's happening. That is my thing on ammo. What's the best advice you can give? to a person who's living in a blue state that has a lot of restrictions on firearms uh, the best advice I can give you is to move <laughs> is to go somewhere else and if you say well I can't move well then I'm sorry you are you are stuck there 
and you are stuck with the laws that are there. Um, I had that decision not 20 years ago, but but almost. I had to make that decision. You know, the place I grew up, the place where, you know, had always been the family roots and all that, I had to leave. And you understand what a refugee feels like when that happens. Why did I have to leave? Because guns I had bought there, and it's stored there while I was in the military off other places doing other things, uh, all of a sudden became contraband and became illegal. Guns that I had bought there. And, uh, you know, I couldn't tolerate that. Uh, I couldn't tolerate the, there were certain guns I would like to have had, and I couldn't buy them because they were now prohibited. And so I, I left. Hard decision, but I left. And I became a refugee and I moved to free America, which was, you know, on the, uh, I'm on the east side of the Rockies because, you know, California, Oregon, and Washington are essentially to me communist occupied territory. They're just same thing with the east coast. A lot of that is communist occupied territory. It's run by despots. It's run by people who do not care about my rights, do not care about your rights. They don't care what happens to you. Your life is worth nothing to them. They don't care. So if you care about your life and the life of your family, you will move to free America. That's it. And you can look at the red state, blue state map to figure out where that is. So that's the best thing. I, I mean, I could fall down the trap, and I have before, of, well get yourself a single action revolver and a lever gun or whatever is permissible by the overlords in your state um, you can do that but you know what do you want guns for I mean are guns just toys you're gonna play with and uh, you know say I have them and 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 all that I mean you know you, you can't live in those places and why should you have to have a 100 plus year old technology gun to, def to defend yourself with? Why do you have to do that? You're a free citizen in a free country, at least most of us are. And uh, if you want an AR-15, you should be able to have one. You know, I will tell you that on that little piece of land that I own, Having an AR-15 is a great comfort to me. I always have one there. I always have one there. I have one loaded, because it's permissible, in my car on the drive up and on the drive back. And if something really bad happened, I can have an AR-15 and defend myself. And you say, well, what's the, what's the chance of something really bad happening? Well, where I work, there's a bridge that goes across the Missouri River and coming out and that that bridge you know is kind of a it's kind of a t intersection you have to make a left hand turn to go across the bridge well i don't i go straight and i head straight south i don't head east well uh two years ago there was a guy who stopped on the bridge he took out a rifle and he started shooting and fortunately someone with a very large pickup truck ran his ass over <laughs> they ran him over 
and it didn't really make national news or anything. But, you know, I, I have a fairly large car, but it's not a, it's not the giant truck that this guy used. But there are times where you could just be going across a bridge. You could be pulling into anywhere and something very bad can happen. And I can't run fast anymore. I can run a little bit, but I'm not going to get very far. I can outrun a raccoon because I've done it. But, um, you know, I have to fight. And I need tools to fight with. And uh, I shouldn't have to use a lever action or a bolt action if I don't want to. If I want an AR-15, I should have it, and I do. And you should too. No one in your family, not you, not anyone else, who wants, who needs to defend their life, should have a, leg a poor weapon fostered on them by legislative idiots, simpletons, morons, who have no skin in the game because they're protected by either whatever kind of law enforcement or bodyguards or, or whatever all this is. No limousine liberal should tell you how you can defend yourself. No, no idiotic Hollywood star, no, no do-gooding, you know, functionary apparatchik of the Democratic Party can tell you, should be able to tell you, how you can defend yourself. That is your, and they say it's God-given right. It is more than a constitutional right. You have a right to defend yourself. And if you need a, if you need a freaking AR-15 to do it, so be it. Go for it. Frankly, I wish I could have an M16A1. You know, I could, I would feel really good with one of those. Um, they've decided that that's not really in the cards. But at least I can have an AR-15, which I have confidence in. And I keep a loaded one with me as much as I can. You know, um, yeah, pistols are great. I like them. You know, they're, they're awesome. But when I'm in my car, I'm not messing with anybody. But if somebody messes with me, and I'm not saying that I'm just going to, you know, whip it right out. But at least I've got it. I've got it there. So something I can defend myself with it if I need to. So enough of the soapbox. You should be able to uh, to do that and uh, defend yourself. Okay, the next question is, do I hunt? And if so, what do I hunt and what do I hunt them with? This is an easy question. I, I don't hunt. I don't. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. I hunted as a kid. Um, kind of got enough of it. You know, I mean, hunting was, there's nothing wrong with hunting. Uh, I enjoyed shooting. I enjoy. I was fascinated. I, I have to. It's a quick story, but first gun I ever saw shot. I actually. It's. I still own it. Uh, belonged to my father. A Winchester Model 88 in 308. It's a modern-looking lever-action gun that was made in the 1950s. And when I saw that, and I saw it fire, I, I was just fascinated by it. And I don't know why. I was a little kid, and I asked my father, "How does it work?" How does it do that? And to, he was not a very patient man in many ways, but he was very patient that day. And he explained that there was powder that pushed the bullet and the bullet flew very fast. And, and if, you, if you aimed it correctly, the bullet would hit what you were aiming at, which all those concepts seem fantastic to me. I mean, it was, it was science fiction. It's like, 
wow, you can be standing here and you can hit something far away. And so I really, I've, I've always been fascinated with firearms ever since. So hunting was just kind of a, it was something everybody did as a kid. I lived on a cattle ranch. Everybody hunted. Everybody at school hunted. Everybody's, everybody hunted. That was the, the gun culture was hunting. And uh, I started to veer away from that a little bit and use guns. Just I wanted to be an expert marksman. I really wanted to be the best marksman I could. And I wasn't very good. Understand, I wasn't very good. But I had um, a couple of Ruger pistols and a couple of couple of rifles, uh, twenty two and thirty thirty, and you know. And uh, then I started shooting some older military rifles, like 303 British, which I thought was just fantastic. You know, it was just a cannon, you know. It, it, it was just absolutely uh, enamored by it. So I, I knew that I would really like to shoot competitively, um, but it was years before I could do so because I didn't have the, the, uh, the coin, and I didn't even understand what you needed to do to shoot competitively. I didn't understanding i knew you kind of had the paper at the end of the at the end of the range and you know i knew kind of knew that but i didn't really know anything else so um i was absolutely fascinated with them and i when we moved away from the ranch um i, I gave up hunting and i've never really hunted since and now at my you know advanced creaky age uh even though i do own a little plot of land i could hunt um, I don't even, I just don't care for the, uh, I just don't care for it. I don't really want to do it. Uh, I still like target shooting. I don't even like um, shooting the, you know, the varmints, the uh, the bad animals, the raccoons, the woodchucks and things like that. I don't even, I don't enjoy that. I do it only out of a sense of, you know, if they're destroying something like my orchard, you know, I have to either I can let them do that and not have an orchard or I can you know eliminate their uh, depredations so uh, that's that's kind of what I do and uh, I don't really enjoy um, the meat very much um, I've, I've just it's been so many years I prefer beef I prefer chicken <laughs> so I don't need to go I don't need to go hunt wild birds I don't need to go hunt uh, um, deer and so uh, that's just kind of how I am you know it's not I'm not against hunting as a matter of fact I will let people hunt on my property it's not much but they can hunt there uh, my friends but for me personally I don't do it it's just not a thing and I come from a hunting family my father hunted my older brother hunted um, so it's not like it's an alien thing or it's not any kind of a thing that I have a particular uh, dislike to um, it's not there's no ethical problem with hunting I, I think it's actually a good thing because it controls populations but for me personally I'd much rather be shooting in a competitive pistol league than hunting deer or turkeys and a lot of people don't understand that they don't get it uh, but as a consequence of just the inheritances from family members I do own a few a few hunting guns that never really get used very much uh i'll take them out once in a while and for nostalgia reasons because i only keep them for nostalgia reasons i'll take them out and, and shoot with them but uh i don't really do anything that's um i don't do any hunting and i don't care to um another i'll tell you another aspect of it is 
I don't like game wardens. I don't like the attitudes. I don't like I don't like a lot of what I've seen with game wardens. Um, as far as I'm concerned, they um, I've had friends who've who've had bad run-ins with them, and that's nothing I want to be any kind of a part of. I mean, I don't want to be explaining myself in you know duck hunting court because I somehow cut the wrong wing off or I filled in the tab you know the, the the tag on the deer wrong or you know I swore it had horns and I, and I I mean it's just I've had these things happen to to people I know and I'm, I'm just not willing to put up with it I'm just not willing to put up with it so I don't hunt and they can't bust me and uh, you know but again I don't have an interest in it anyway so it doesn't matter well that's it for this edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And if you have any questions or comments, I think I forgot to say this at the beginning of the podcast, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. Or leave them in the comments section on Podbean, which is where we create this podcast. And as always... Um, Go ahead and, and let us know, and we will answer them the next podcast. And uh, I will also try to get you a personal answer if you email it to me. So there you are. But for now, this is Old School Guns, out.